Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I think the use of masks is going to become more normalized. I think people are going to use them on a voluntary basis, and certainly people are at higher risk from COVID, bad COVID outcomes or from influenza. But I think going to work with the sniffles is going to be frowned upon. I think businesses are going to have access to routine testing. I think there might be symptom checks within certain settings. If you have a congregate setting where a lot of people are getting together, they might check symptoms. Fever guns might be, become more routine, even though they're not that helpful. I think you're going to see a veneer of safety superimposed upon, upon normal life. Huh. Is that good or bad? Are we uh, mm. are we getting too uh too uh caught up in that last tiny little fraction of safety? That's what I was about to say, echoing my final words of last hour. There are civilizations that are on the march that are all about what do we have to get done? China most notably. And there are civilizations that are worried about that last degree of safety or whether lobsters have feelings, and those civilizations get crushed. <laughs> So I'm just trying to think this through. I'm trying not to have a knee-jerk reaction. I like Dr. Scott Gottlieb. My knee-jerk reaction is we're being way too careful. I mean, we, 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 we've lived for forever, but certainly my entire life is all I can account for. Um, getting a cold every now and then. And everybody, you know, nobody died. Everybody is fine with it. Nobody likes a cold. But so are we going to have a deal now where if you have a cold, you're expected to wear a mask to work? Maybe that's a good idea. I, I don't Why know. Why spread I, it around? I would like to talk to a bunch of reasonable experts on this topic because I came across a piece. I don't think I have it around anymore. I culled it during vacation. But uh, teachers are seeing rampant illness among children, particularly young children, because they were denied the absolutely critical process of having their immune systems built during the COVID shutdown because they weren't mm. going to school trading bugs. So they're enormously vulnerable now uh, to bunches of stuff. So I don't. I just think it reminds me of the great uh, cleanliness uh, craze of the United States that probably started in the eighties or nineties with all the antibacterial this and antibacterial that, and every the kid has to be spotlessly clean every single second. We end up with allergies and no immune systems. I'm a little concerned about it. Well, that reminds me, Alex. If you could, uh, can you look into? I heard part of a story about how much carbon dioxide we've all been taking in from having masks on all the time. If you can find a story on that. That we've unhealthy levels of carbon dioxide. I'd never even thought of that before, but I'd like to know more about these. Uh, what do you call them? Symptom checks when you show up for work every day. I mean, what you got to take your temp? That doesn't do any good. Are you going to nasal swab? Do you have to leave a stool sample with the receptionist when you come every day? I mean, check. Oh boy. Uh, well, now you got to buy me dinner. The more careful and, and, and prissy we get as a country, the more it worries me. Sensible precautions, fine. I'm not a lunatic. I just, I feel this country getting more and more prissy and particular. And I don't think that's a recipe for uh, global success or, you know, continuing on through history. So I just saw this tweet. I don't know much about the details. It's our women's soccer team. Ahead of the Olympic send-off match versus Mexico. The Olympics start this afternoon, the Summer Olympics, or or in a month, or next week. I don't have any idea. I don't know And I'd either. have to Google it, but I don't care enough to Google it. So, Ahead of the Olympic send-off match versus Mexico, members of the U.S. women's soccer team turned their backs on the national anthem which was being played by a 98-year-old World War II veteran. Oh, my God. 
You know what? I'm turning my back on them. Screw you. I'm not watching a second. <sighs> you know, I'm getting to what you were talking about. So, uh, over the weekend, China, or while we were on vacation, China celebrated the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Chinese Communist Party. Which is, one of, which is one of the most evil regimes on planet Earth. Uh, got a lot of attention. Xi gave a speech. Much of the attention focused on the part where Xi warned that China will not be bullied, oppressed, or subjugated during his speech, and that anyone dares to try uh, to uh, bully them will find their heads bashed bloody against a great wall of steel forged by over 1.4 billion Chinese people. Now that's a threat. That's a hell of a thing to throw into your speech as the leader of close to the biggest economy on the planet. Uh And certainly with a military that rivals ours at this point. I'll read that for you again. Xi warned that China will not be bullied, oppressed, or subjugated, and anyone who dares will find their heads bashed bloody against a great wall of steel forged by over 1.4 billion Chinese people. So while you got that country who's hell-bent on taking over the world, acting like that, we are, uh, you know, we have op-eds in our biggest, most influential newspapers about, should we have an American flag with white stripes? Should we all really be standing for the national anthem at this point? Our soccer team turning our back, turning their backs on a World War II vet playing the national anthem. God, that offends me, and I'm serious. This is not talk show host pretend offense. That is serious to the bone F.U. offense. Well, it's just so stupidly out of proportion. Oh, yeah. With with world history or current history, as I just mentioned with what's going on with China. Well, and, and the intellectual basis of the look how smart I am, I hate my own country thing, it's so thin. It's an inch deep. And it's just, it's like teenagers adopting a fashion trend for like three and a half weeks. That's one of the things that offends me. It's so poorly thought out. You're golf just now? shut up. Okay, so you're golf this week. Okay, All right. great. <laughs> Super. Oh, you're an America hater now. Okay. All right. We'll see you. See you next week. Anyway, that's, uh, that's troubling. I feel the same way. I will find it difficult to watch any of the, uh, the women's soccer. Actually, I won't find it difficult. I won't watch any at all. Can you repeat that old head-bashing threat thing? I want to commit that to memory and, and hit people with that in case I feel uh, bullied or oppressed. President Xi warned that China will not be bullied, oppressed, or subjugated, and that anyone who dares to try will find their heads bashed bloody against a great wall of steel. Yes. Yeah. Huh? Hmm. You want your head bashed and bloodied against a great wall of steel? Well, then cut it out. All right. Hey, Hoover Institution <laughs> just published a, a new paper by uh, a woman by the name of Kai Jia. I hope I'm pronouncing that somewhere close to correctly. She's a former professor at Beijing's Central Party School. This is the absolute core of their indoctrination mechanisms. This is where their party leaders, their party elite, get educated in the Communist Party. And she got stuck in the U.S. She was like a visiting scholar, which is fairly questionable. But she got stuck in the U.S. during COVID and took the opportunity to not go back to China and has become quite the vocal critic of Xi Jinping and the Chinese uh, regime. And uh, and it's it's 50 pages long, her paper. And I've just read some excerpts, and I'm going to try to plow through the whole thing today. But uh, the lead in the Wall Street Journal coverage of it, <clears throat> says a former Chinese Communist Party academic, now critic of the regime, is urging the U.S. to abandon, quote, naive hopes to engage with Beijing while warning that the country's leadership is more fragile than it appears. 
which is really interesting. Uh, number one, she is definitely on the train of, you dopes, the whole time you've been smiling and opening your arms and saying, can we be friends, can we be friends? We've been saying yes, just so we could exploit you, you idiots. So she's absolutely um, uh, kind of solidified that point of view. But the other thing she says is that there is a real generational change in China from the old schoolers who are under Mao and are real communist believers to those who, who are much more steeped in Western ways. Uh, the Internet is leaked in, and she thinks the only choice she has is to continue cracking down, and he's going to squeeze too hard, and the people are going to you know go out between his fingers, mm-hmm. as the old metaphor goes. Whether she's right or wrong, I don't know, but it's a really interesting read, and we will uh, link it for you at armstrongandgetty.com yeah, well, if you're in the mood for 50 pages of geopolitics. Oppressors have way better tools to crack down on people than they've ever had in the history of the world. Yeah, that's the thing. I hate to, I hate to spout cliches, but... Their surveillance state is absolutely a a totalitarian game changer. You just you can't get away with any subversion there compared to like every totalitarian regime through history. Um, I want to hit you with a, a, a kind of breaking story about Afghanistan as we're pulling out fast and the Taliban is taking over fast. Um, and a couple of COVID stats that I've come across. There's a new variant. You should at least be aware of the word. Because it might turn out to be something. Hopefully won't. Probably won't. But could turn out to be something. It's okay. killing people in Peru like crazy. The most deadly spot in the world for COVID is Peru. Because of this new variant. Does the vaccine work on this new variant? They don't know yet. I've always wanted to visit Peru. Maybe I'll wait for a month. Now, now is not the time. No, not so much. Um, uh, so all that stuff uh, coming up. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. sound and somebody yelling we need a hose oh things have not gone well yikes teens any sentence that starts with teens is bound yeah. to go anywhere teens set u-haul full of fireworks on fire and that's what it sounded like panicking neighbors they're teens lucky. are kind of a universal florida man if you think about it <laughs> and always no matter been. where a teen is he's potentially florida i know <laughs> i was that's a good point well, so well, I, I don't follow soccer uh, at all um but the u.s women's soccer team playing over the weekend you know and they're the best often the best soccer team in the world uh so i mentioned a little bit ago that they some of them turned their back on the national anthem over the weekend while a world war ii vet played the national anthem on a harmonica or something uh and we got this text they wore black black lives matter warm-ups as they took the knee for the national anthem so that's they're they're going all in on the whole our country sucks. On this stage, I think that we ought to say, well, then don't be in the Olympics. We're the whole point of the Olympics 
is to represent your country and countries coming together, blah, 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 sending a message to the rest of the world that this is a bad country. China, no, 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 don't worry about China, Russia, any of these other horrible countries. America's the bad country. That is not good for us on the world stage. No. Leave them home. Send some high school girls soccer team that will lose, but it will at least stand and and put their hands over their heart for the freaking national anthem. I am anti. I don't mind professional athletes doing it. Completely get to do that if they want. You'll pay the penalty. But you do not get to wear the red, white, and blue and play for the the, the United States if you're going to act like that in the national anthem. I'm, I'm not cool with that at all. I agree completely, and I won't watch him, not for a second. Forget it. Wow. Yeah. It's just, it's just like I said, it's, a, it's out of proportion with reality. That is your problem. There was a New York Times columnist who uh, asked the readers, how can we fix the Olympics or, or bring it back? And he actually got some really good ideas. Oh, you want to kill it I off? Loved. You want to completely kill it off? Like, I have a feeling it's, it's, it's in its dying breath right now. Yeah. I mean, my joke all morning long is that the Olympics start this afternoon or next week or two weeks from now. I'm not exactly sure, and I'm, I'm not even going to bother to Google it. And I used to love the Olympics. Love the Olympics. But so, you know, it's waning like a lot of things are. There's just too many other opportunities for entertainment, et cetera, et cetera. You want to kill and it off? Or what's, what's bad about it is to start to outweigh what's good. You want to kill it off? Have a whole bunch of athletes who, uh, who don't stand for the national anthem when they win the gold medal. You'll absolutely kill it off. Are there any other countries whose athletes do this? I mean, occasionally you get the really courageous person who who stands up against some dictator in their country. Are there any think... other countries that would let their athletes do this? Well, no. <laughs> well, even even a country like Great Britain, would they let their athletes do this? I don't think so. Well, I don't know. Maybe they yeah. will. you got to start uh, saying formerly Great Britain, don't you? Just in the interests of accuracy. I mean, it's a fine place, but it's not great anymore. A couple of things on the COVID. One, uh, I don't know if we already knew this. I didn't know that. Younger Americans are way more likely to get side effects from the vaccine than older. They're positive of that now. It's not even close. Huh. So when Is you hear it because their immune systems are so uh, vital and, and ready to leap to their defense, I don't know. It doesn't say here. But the whole fever, fatigue, flu-like symptoms, had to miss a day of work. Way more likely if you're 35 than if you're 65. Yeah, getting the vaccine. Yeah, I, I suspect it's for the reason I mentioned. Their immune systems that, are... young people think you got the world by the tail. <laughs> you can bend down and pick up a quarter if you see it on the street. Whoa, <laughs> now look at you. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh. <laughs> hey, boy. Uh, and this. Oh, the, 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 this is what you need to be frightened of. If you want to be frightened of the COVID still, fears arise that the new Lambda variant from Peru may be resistant to vaccines. A very unfair, clickbaity headline, because the reality of the story is they haven't done enough testing to know that it is or isn't. Mm, all, the just, other, right, okay, yeah. all the other variants have responded to the vaccine the same way. The vaccine keeps it away. But this one they don't know, so they go with may be resistant to vaccines. Yeah, it may be. I may right. play in the NBA someday, but it's very unlikely. Crows may carry chlamydia and poop it onto you from above. There's suck. no proof that they don't. <laughs> I'd wear a hat. <laughs> that would really suck. Oh, yeah. But I will tell Try you to this. explain that to your wife. No, I'm telling you, babe, a crow pooped on me. This new lambda mutation they've got in Peru. Peru is uh, the most has the highest pandemic death rate in the world right now. It's killing people left and right. They're not vaccinated hardly at all in Peru. Um, and so it's really wiping them out. 
But there is a difference in that whole spike protein thing with this one. It has mutated where that changed. You know, all along it was, as long as the spike protein is this, and I don't understand it well enough, to. but as long as it's this, the vaccines will work. If it ever changes to that, we got mm. a problem. Well, this mutation looks like it changed to that. Really? So far. Ooh, I so don't we'll know see. about this. So we'll see. The Lambda variant, that's the one to, uh, you know, if you see a headline of that, you might want to read the, the next paragraph of that story. You ever had Peruvian food? don't think so. Of course, you're hard of taste. Uh, Peruvian poo- food is really delicious. It's kind of uh, mildly spicy. got almost a cinnamon thing going on. It's kind of not far off Caribbean, but a very good. Could I very... find Peru on a globe? I'm guessing it's South America? Good. Ding. Very and, nice. I couldn't get any closer than that, though. I don't know if it's in the middle, on the coast, the bottom, the top. It's pretty far to the bottom, as I recall. Doesn't mm. it share like the bottom of South America with uh, uh, Argentina? I don't know. Where's Venezuela? Has anybody seen Venezuela? You go Uruguay, I'll go mine. I don't know. I don't know where any of these places are. So uh, getting back to the Olympic question, the uh, New York Times columnist, old what's-his-face, asked his readers, what should we do to uh, to save the Olympics? And he had uh, one response in particular I thought was really, really Get athletes good. that stand for the national anthem would be a good start. Well, well, there's that. Also, do Republicans have more Democratic friends or vice versa? And Why? I think it's very revealing. And did we leave Afghanistan in the middle of the night and not even tell the Afghani army that we were leaving? It looks like we may have. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. You know, uh, we're going dark in Afghanistan, and there are going to be consequences long-term to this. And at the end of the day, when we fully withdraw, Mm -hmm. the devastation and and the the killings and women, humanitarian crisis fleeing across the border to Pakistan, President Biden's going to own these ugly images. Yeah, I can't can't decide whether I agree with Michael McCall there or not. I actually watched that this morning. He was on Fox News Sunday. I believe whatever, so, yeah. Whatever show he was on. And um, I don't know if that's scoring political points or if he actually believes it. There are women being abused horribly and children and grown men and all kinds of... All over the dang world. And we don't stop it from happening. Is there a particular reason we need to stop it from happening in Afghanistan? I think we need to put aside any assumption like that and look at it uh, soberly. Um, just because, well, for the reasons you point out, and the situation has changed so much since we started there to defeat the, uh, to, to smash Al Qaeda and to punish the hell out of the Taliban for sheltering them. Just everything's changed. So what's our purpose statement? Do we have a, a, uh, what do you call it on the, like a corporate boardroom, your mission statement? Do we have one of those for Afghanistan? No, we haven't had for a long, long, long time. All right, so how the hell do you answer the question, should we stay? Michael McCall, with all due respect, saying, well, because there will be horror when we leave, therefore we must stay. I'm not sure that fits with a reasonable mission statement for the reasons you pointed out. We'd be in 310 different countries. It's Exaggeration, awful. yes, I know. A couple of years ago, I don't even remember what the event was. There were some um, Green Berets there that I ended up having long conversation with, and they're throwing back drinks and talking and everything like that. They told me some stories about things they'd seen and dealt with with the Taliban and had to turn a blind eye to that I wish I'd never heard because I can't get them out of my head. I mean, they're just horrifying, 
horrifying. These, ta- these Taliban are monsters. Medieval stuff. Medieval monsters. Yeah. What they do to children in particular. Just unbelievable. And so I fully recognize what is happening and what is going to happen even more when we leave. But it was happening before we got there. It's happening while we're there. And it's happening, going to happen after we leave. And it's happening all over the world. They're doing the same thing in China. You know, and, and, our, and our, our, our many of the companies that you'll be giving money to today are doing business with China. Right. And they're doing this sort of stuff to people in China. So, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's complicated when you get down to the reality of it. Well, in, in an era where everything is politicized, up to and including, you know, what was the origin of the coronavirus, which you'd think would, if anything could transcend politics, you'd think that woulda, yeah. but it didn't. So in a period like that, I mean, it's difficult to know. Like you said, is Michael McCall, is he sincere, or is he just trying to tar the Democratic Party with uh, the, the, the absolutely unavoidable misery to come in Afghanistan. I don't know. While we're talking about, Man, it's ponderous. While we're talking about Afghanistan, this headline that is out, and I'm starting to think there's something uh, funky going on we don't know about. Almost always with foreign policy stories, you don't really have the information to comment on them. You really don't. I mean, pundits, talk show hosts, we do. We do it anyway. But then you find out years later, maybe sometimes 25 years later, Oh, that's why President whoever did this. Because you finally have the information you needed to understand the decision. But uh, headline from the Hill, U.S. left Bagram Airfield at night, didn't inform Afghan commander. Afghan military officials told the Associated Press that the U.S. left Afghanistan's Bagram Airfield in the middle of the night without notifying the new commander. U.S. forces reportedly left the site from which they have fought and for the past 20 years, shut off the electricity on Friday. Afghan officials woke up to no electricity and everybody gone. They're sound sleepers. They didn't hear the C-130s taking off? We uh, heard a rumor that the Americans had left Bagram, and finally by 7 o'clock in the morning we understood that it was confirmed they had already left, said General, can't pronounce his name, Bagram's new commander. Before the Afghan forces could assume control of the Air Force base, looters had reportedly ransacked the base. Oh, my gosh. So in between us leaving and not telling anybody and, and the Afghan forces getting there, it got looted. Here's what I'm starting to think. Uh, with all these different stories of us blowing up our own vehicles and, uh, and, and destroying communications equipment and everything like that, I think the Afghan forces are so shot through with Taliban informants or just Taliban or just corruption that we've decided, F it, that's it, good luck with your country, we're out of here in the most ugly, fast fashion. The Whatever can save us the most dollar and dollars and lives, we're just getting out of there, good luck. And yield as little as possible to the Taliban, you know, in terms of equipment. Right. And, and, and I think, the, for probably good reasons, we don't want to say it out loud, because... Well, that looks bad for everybody. It looks bad for the Afghan forces who are going to try their, some of them are going to try their best. It looks bad for the American taxpayer. It definitely looks bad for anybody whose son or daughter served in Afghanistan, you know, and risked their lives or gave their lives. It'd be pretty awful to have to say, look, we've been at this for 20 years. They're, they're more foe than friend at this point, the Afghan forces. We've spent trillions of dollars. Thousands of lives. They're more for the more foe than friend. We just got to get out of there. We can't say that out loud for all the reasons I just stated, but I think that might be what's going on here. 
Let's go ahead and drop in clip 15 here. It's General Scott Miller, who's the uh, United States Afghan commander. If you look at the security situation, it's not good. The loss of terrain and the, and the rapidity of that loss of terrain has, has to be concerning. One, because hope actually matters and morale actually matters. And so as you watch the uh, Taliban moving across the country, uh, what you don't want to have happen is that the people lose hope. That's so, why they're not being entirely honest, because hope matters and, and morale matters. Right, right. But so that, that's what I now think is going on. I think that the top people have told Biden, look, it's just a disaster. There right. is no Afghan force. It doesn't even exist. Every dollar we give them is giving money to the Taliban. Let's get out yesterday. I think yeah. that might be what's happening. Well, I've heard a couple of really smart, sober commentators say, look, if we haven't built the Afghan forces up to uh, self-sufficiency by now, it's not going to happen. It should have happened in a fraction of the time we're talking about. Yeah, so. we, we told you this story a couple of weeks ago, and this sucks because I'm sure there are plenty of, uh, of uh, men, women, and kids in Afghanistan who are risking their lives to try to make it a better country, but not enough of them, apparently. But a couple of weeks ago... Their their biggest hero in the whole country, special forces dude in his whole outfit, got wiped out by the Taliban. Completely wiped out and killed. It's ugly. Yeah, yeah, rough stuff. Hey, Michael, how about some transition music? Two, three, four. You're not moving now. You're dead, man. You got a group. I really want a martini. Where's my skinny tie, honey? What what, what language is this? Who cares? (laughs) Got a group, baby. Language of jazz, man. Man, why am I not smoking a cigarette in a skinny tie? The language of the dotted quarter note. That's what the language is. Well said, my brother. Bing bong indeed. <laughs> All right, it worked. turn it up. It turn it up. The transition music worked. It erased from our brain what we were talking about. Now we can so, move on. This New York Times columnist asked his readers, "What do we do about the Olympics? Because it's not just us. It's not just you. Everybody cares a lot less about it. It seems kind of tawdry and ugly and bloated and I dishonest." I don't want to distract us, but I'm reading more text and more articles about what the uh, the women's soccer team did. Screw them. Yep. Screw them. Yep. Indeed. Why uh, would you give them a platform to do that? I think it'd be so awesome. Say, so you're out. We're out. We're going to take the uh, national champion girls soccer team from uh, from high school or eighth grade or whatever. They're going to go over there. Eighth grade. And they're going to lose, but they're going to stand for the national anthem, and they're going to try really hard. Yeah. Screw you. You don't like your country? Fine. Don't represent it then. Don't go over there with the red, white, and blue on and represent your country because that's what the Olympics is. If you hate it so much, how about you, you, you actually disassociate you? Oh, what? You'd lose a bunch of money? You'd lose millions of dollars? Plus endorsements. Millions of clicks right? and endorsements if you yeah. didn't have this platform to stand on? Well, then respect the platform you're on. Who's the collegiate women's soccer champion? Send them over. Except first you ask them, listen, do you all love your country? Will you stand for the anthem? And we understand that it's flawed like every country on earth, and we're doing our best to fix the problems. Are you willing to? Oh, yeah, we're all willing to. Wait a second. The star midfielder says, no, I'm not willing to. Okay, who's the second-place college team? Find a midfielder from that team. Promote her up. Fine. Great. Screw it. Anyway, so what to do about the Olympics? Uh, this one person points out that the IOC from its very beginning comes from the culture of upper classes in Europe. 
Uh, it's all about money, and they're the, they're the uh, I would not one like of these the people. most corrupt international organizations in the world, if not the most corrupt, the IOC. Right, uh, and and there's a lot of like soft-headed mumbo jumbo in this article about we need to bring back the the dream of the special, make it about the athletes, blah blah blah. But no, no way to accomplish any of it. Finally, you get to Emily, who's a 30 year old bank fraud investigator from Atlanta. She has a practical idea as a woman of her uh, profession would. She says, "What's the benefit of having all the games in one place in one country?" Is it in one place so we can have the opening and closing ceremonies? Well, those are fine, but they're not what the Olympics is. It's all about the competition, which can take place anywhere. And they point out that if you were to spread out the games, it would decrease corruption in the bidding process. It would lessen the power of the IOC to hold a single city or country captive to its whims and demands. Uh, they point out, uh, let's see, what are these? This examples? all makes perfectly good sense. It doesn't make any difference to the average viewer whether they're swimming in a pool that's in you know, Beijing or Tulsa. It doesn't make any difference. We right. just want to see the best people swim and see an American win. Think swimming in Sydney, boxing in New York, track and field in Eugene, Oregon. Why not? Yeah. And that, that way, also, you can't have a god-awful totalitarian regime like China hoard all the Olympics to itself, and you have to kowtow, kowtow to the commies to even be part of the Olympics. I love that idea. Spread it out. Have individual events here, there, and everywhere. Now, if you're one of those rare athletes who's, you know, like a pole vaulter and a whatever, maybe you got a you know, transcontinental flight, eh, you'll figure it out. <laughs> You get on kayak. They compare all sorts of different fares. You know, travelocity. Uh, you know what we need to get to is who has more friends across the aisle, Republicans or Democrats. The numbers, the numbers will shock you. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. You know what else is hot? The housing market. Don't try to buy a house now. Off the It's so hot. Listen to this. People are putting their homes up at ridiculous prices. They don't even want to sell. They're just doing to see what they can get. I'm serious. They're doing. I saw a sign on a homeless tent that said, uh, shown by appointment only. <laughs> it's out of control. Yeah, that is out of control. <laughs> Good one, sir. That was a very Johnny Carson-esque joke from Bill Maher. So I got to admit that I didn't realize that this women's soccer story is more or less breaking news. I mean, it's happened in the last half dozen hours that this story broke because of time zones and everything. So they're taking on the Mexican team, beat them for nothing, I think. The, the U.S. women's soccer team is the best in the world. But they um, they turned their back on the national anthem while a World War II veteran played to harmonica. All of the uh, Mexican uh, athletes stood and faced and sang along with their national anthem uh, at the beginning of the match. But um uh, U.S. team turned it back on it, and it. I think, I think they stepped in it. I think they overshot. I think this is going to get a lot of attention and way more, way more negative than positive. I don't think this is going to work out the way they thought it would. Shame on them. They're dead to me now. Forget it. I will not root for I want the list of their names, and as long as they're on the team, I will not root for them. 
If you want to, in your free time, point out the flaws, the challenges America has, and and perhaps offer uh, ideas for solutions, they might be idiotic, but I'll take that in the spirit it's uh, it's offered. But you're going to turn your back on on the anthem, especially as a World War II veteran plays that you're sick. You've been deluded by the ideological garbage that's running through the sewers of American academia these days. Ugh. Complete change of topic, more or less. Um, it's a, it's a piece in the Washington Post that's analyzing an American Enterprise Institute study, which I flipped to, and it is long. It's, it's many, many, many pages full of really interesting statistics about the way we mix and match and have friends in the United States across ethnic lines, ages, just all sorts of stuff that we'll dig into in depth tomorrow. But for now, the top line that they're writing about is reaching across the aisle for your friendships. And because this is the Washington Post, written by some woman with a social degree, probably from from Vassar, um, they start with an anecdote in which a thoroughly reasonable Democratic man has a friend who's a crazy QAnon nut job, and finally decides that they they shouldn't be friends anymore. So that's the way they frame it. They, they of course they don't frame it some nice suburban mom whose uh, whose uh, neighbor's son is in Antifa no of course they wouldn't do that so they frame it the way they frame it <laughs> but then they move into the fact that republicans tend to have more bipartisan friendships than democrats do in fact it's a 21 point gap just over half of republicans 53% which to me is shockingly low. Yeah. Say they have at least some friends who are Democrats. How is that even possible? How do you not have any friends that are ever of the other party? And that's that's the high. Maybe that's number. where you live. Uh, maybe that's it. Mm, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, like that's some bro- economic I'm, I'm stuff. I'm thinking about my brother where he lives. He'd have to work pretty hard to find a Democrat anywhere. He'd have to put an ad in the newspaper, as <laughs> yeah, they say. Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, so 53% of Republicans said they have at least some friends who are Democrats. Only 32% of Democrats said they have any Republican friends. That's that's sick. Mm-hmm. That's weird, except for the geographical explanation, which Jack has offered, which has got to be a fair amount of this. Um, and, and they note uh, the uh, Daniel Cox, who's AEI's resident scholar in polling and public opinion, uh, points out that... Um, that the Trump era turned a lot of things that were never defined as political into political issues. I had like, noticed. <laughs> the efficacy of vaccines, where the coronavirus came from, scientific questions, that sort of thing. Um, Trump inspired such intense devotion. Oh, this is so Washington Post these days. Trump inspired such intense devotion in his followers. And when that happens, it becomes a lot more difficult to bear and take criticism of that person. A uh, WAPO, perhaps you noticed that anti-Trumpiness became such a fervent cult that you couldn't talk any sense to people, including where the virus came from that's killing millions of people. They didn't even want to listen. So it kind of cut both ways. Anyway, this is a shock. Liberal women were the most likely to cut ties. A third said they stopped being friends with someone because of their politics. Yeah, not shocking at all. Yeah, we noticed. Uh, Black Democrats have very few Republican friends. Uh, Could partly be geography. Um, And then they get into the point where, and of course this is true, 
And with all due respect to the 5% on the fringes who control all the conversations, if you actually get to know somebody who believes things different than you, and you actually chat with them, number one, you're going to find out, wow, they're a human. They're not some sort of a crazed demon as described by my, uh, you know, my, my Twitter fan friends and you also might understand why they think the way they think and you might actually reach some sort of understanding and figure well our shared humanity is a lot more important than these differences in i don't know immigration policy so of course we can be buddies so also in the r&d split asking whether or not the pandemic is over 57 percent of republicans say the pandemic is over seems like it ought to be higher to me i call it over only four percent of democrats say that so that would explain why it depends on what town you're in or what state you're in, whether or not everybody's wearing a mask or not. Like I said, in my grocery store in my town, I'm the only person there without a mask on every time I've been in there. I know what you mean by it's over, but I, I, I wouldn't say it's over. I'd say it's if you're asked yes or no, just is the pandemic goes over? Nah, you just said I won't no. answer yes or no questions. <laughs> OK, well, then my views then are I'm far ta- too nuanced. Then I'm taking my clipboard and moving on to someone else. <laughs> if, if I'm on the corner, may I elaborate? May I? The Man. pandemic is over. 57% of Republicans, yes. 4% of Democrats. Wow. I mean, that's just amazing. With the same, well, I was about to say the same set of facts, but that's not true. We don't operate on the same set of facts. No, absolutely not. You know, uh, I was talking to my dad about the concept of clickbait and clickonomics. Because he'll see headlines about the pandemic or, or weather since he's traveling and get all, uh, you know, concerned about it. And I say, no, Dad, they're, they're playing it up because it's clickbait. Um, I think the youngsters recognize that. Yeah, I hope so. They're the future, you realize. The young mm-hmm. people. The well, well said. <laughs> Thank you. Really beautiful. Armstrong and Getty.